Boys and girls, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. You know, we've been talking, you know, when uh, we've been meeting up here, I've been talking about prayer for a couple of times now, right? We, we talked about um, why we pray when we say we pray in Jesus' name. We talked about that, and we talked about how sometimes how we end in prayer. We say amen, meaning we let it be. We believe it to be true that we're praying. But this morning, I just want to be, remind you of something else. Um, when Jesus was asked how to pray, do we remember how, what he said, how he, he began his prayer? He said, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's not a word we use a lot today, hallowed be thy name, but it means glorify your name. May your name be holy. Right? So that was, that was Jesus' first petition when prayer is that, that people would have a holiness for God in their heart. And that's what I want to pray about today, okay? Does that sound like a good thing to pray about? Good, good answer. Uh, Father God, we do come to you, Lord, and we pray that your name would be hallowed, that we would glorify your name, that we would hold your name holy in our hearts, that the world would know your holiness, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we have an awesome opportunity and privilege to come before you and pray. And I pray for these, these little souls, Lord, here, that um, they would always know that their prayer life is a communication talking to, to you, God, first. And their first petition would be, Lord, for you to be glorified in their lives that they would use their lives to glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for, we pray, Lord, as they go back to their seats, that you would open their ears and open their hearts, that all you would say to them this morning. I pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's children say, Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're, we're getting there. The great eight. As many of you know, and as I've made... Um, no secret about I am not a hiker, although I guess we're going hiking today. <laughs> Some enjoy it, I do not, but when you live in Colorado and your wife wants to hike from time to time, there are certain obligations a man has to make and go on a hike. I remember uh, once we were uh, hiking uh, on the Air Force Academy up the mountain there. Um, it wasn't too difficult, but at points, hands were needed uh, to get the angle, so maybe maybe that might seem difficult. It probably is now. Um, we got to this one point, this summit, and we looked out over, and you could see all of Colorado Springs, and you could see all of the mountain and the, the, the river. Um, coming down through it, and it was just amazingly um, beautiful. It was breathtaking, and I remember saying to you um, how I wish my parents could see this, or your, or your parents, but because of the nature of what it took to get to this point, I knew that they never would. They would never be able to see it, and if 
Of course, we, we took pictures, um, but the pictures don't do those things justice. And you guys have memories like that in your lives. They, they may be nature issues. I remember the first time I, I saw the ocean. When, you, when you're from the Midwest and everything is flat, and we got the river in, in the Midwest, the Mississippi, but then we got nothing else. You see an ocean or you see a mountain. And it's amazing. This is a pretty big deal. But you remember those things in your life, or maybe it was certain events in your life, and you remember them, and you may even have pictures of them. But there's an emotion that sticks with it that the pictures can't explain. There's an awe that comes with it that just seeing that can't fully describe. Even describing them to you now fails to elicit elicit the emotion or the awe of what we saw that day. But even though we see things in life like that, we get the the details. I can describe the details. I can give you the knowledge, the facts of it. Something is missing. The emotion, the life-shaping or life-changing aspects of those experience. And I believe that is what it is like to know the love of Jesus Christ. I can describe the love of Jesus to you all day long. In fact, that's my job, to describe that to you. But unless you experience it yourself, no amount of words, no description can do it justice. But once you do experience it, you realize no matter how hard you try that no words can describe the love of Christ. It doesn't stop me from trying, though. Neither should it stop you. I cannot describe to you the emotion of falling in love with my wife or becoming a father or seeing those things that were the Rocky Mountains or the Atlantic Ocean or other experiences in my life, but I will still try. Why? Because they are that amazing, and we should try. And when we have those experiences, it changes us to our core. Those things change us. We are at this point in Romans chapter 8. We are at the last of Paul's rhetorical questions near the end of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is again a resounding no one. No one shall, no one can. Implying that Jesus' love for us will never be removed will never be separated from it. It will never end. But before we get to that promise and how trusting in it brings great benefit and hope to our lives, we have to ask ourselves a very real question and contemplate its implications. Do I care or do I Love the love of Jesus. 
That promise that I will never lose Jesus only matters in how much I care about it, about how much he loves me. And that's the whole point of the message today. That promise is going to be little for you or big for you, depending on how much you care about the love of Jesus. Does that make sense? You could promise me that I will never go without Brussels sprouts or cooked carrots the rest of my life. I won't care very much. That's not a good promise to me. You could promise me that I'll never have to miss out on having a cat as a pet. Not a great promise. But even on things that I enjoy or things that I like or things that I am blessed by, you could promise me those things that I would not miss out on those things, and that would be all great and good and well, but I could live without some of those things, right? I could live without sports. I could live without cherry pie. I could live without the nerdy historical documentaries that I love. But my point is that if this promise that we'll never lose out on Jesus' love doesn't do that for us, it doesn't bring a great hope, it doesn't make us see, wow, God is awesome. This love of Christ is great and I'll never lose it, then maybe we don't fully understand his love either intellectually or experientially. And that's where we are today and what I want to cover before next week we get into the details of that promise here in Romans 8.35. So today, contemplating those things, what is the love of Christ? What are the facts? What do I need to know about it? What does it mean when I experience it? And is there more to that than these? So let me start with verse 28, and I will read through the end of the chapter. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So as I read to you in the benediction last week from Ephesians 3, there is an important aspect of first knowing the love of Christ, knowing what the love of Christ is. Paul prays this. We pray this for each other. He prays that we have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so the love of Christ is important. So what is it? First, it's important to note that this verse, as in Romans 8, this verse in Ephesians 3, this passage, it is Jesus' love for us, not our love for him. Sometimes in our English, we can confuse that or mess it up. We say the love of Christ, we're thinking, okay, is that my love of Christ or is that his love? Okay, the, the word for Christ, and you get a little nerdy on you here, the word for Christ in the Greek has a possessive form, meaning that the love belongs to him. It's his love. It's not our love of or for Christ that is talking about in this passage. It's his love for us, the love he possesses, the love that belongs to Jesus. We can't be separated from his love for us. It's also important to note that the us that he's talking about here means believers. Paul's writing this letter to the church, to believers. There's a, there's a different aspect of God's love, of Jesus' love for his creation. He gives rain. He provides. There's a different aspect of the love, but the love that he's talking about right here is for us. It's for believers. We can know the facts about the love of Jesus, the facts that he shows to believers because the Bible teaches us those things. The Bible teaches us about the love of Jesus. So we can understand it. We don't, we don't get it from our made-up image of who God is and what Jesus is like and how Jesus treats everybody. We get it from the Bible, this love of Christ. But even knowledge of the facts, there doesn't, even if we get all the knowledge of the facts and we're a Bible scholar, that's, we're still at the tip of the iceberg. We're still getting the very beginning of the love of Christ, of understanding it. Jesus showed his love for us by lowering himself and becoming like one of us. We know that. We know that truth. The, the Bible teaches that truth. Ask me to explain how that happens, how God himself becomes like one of us. I can't fully give you that. I can give you what the, the Bible teaches, but that is a knowledge and an understanding that's far beyond our human grasp. We're going to be able to understand it fully one day. Jesus loved us by living a completely sinless, 
righteous, God-glorifying life. That is a fact. That is a fact that we depend on. If we're going to stand before God justified, having Jesus taken all of our sins on the cross and us being counted as his righteousness, he needs to be completely righteous. How in human form, me knowing my humanity and the temptation to sin and how easily things come to my mind or I focus on myself or things come out of my mouth, how he lived for 33 or so years without once sinning. I know the facts of it. I can't explain that to you, how someone could do that. Jesus loved us. Here's another way he showed his love, by giving up his life for us. We gather and we celebrate. We're going to celebrate this at the end of the month. Taking the wrath of God on the cross for three hours, nailed to the cross. It wasn't just the physical aspect of it. He was up there taking the sins of the world, the wrath of God for all who would believe in him all throughout the history of the world, past, present, future since. He lasted three hours. How? I know the facts. Must know it. Critical to the gospel. Critical to our faith. How someone could do that, it's impossible for, I, I can grasp little of it. But I believe it. There is a knowing of the facts of the love of Christ, comprehending and believing them. There are musts, but even a comprehension and believing of them doesn't get to all of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of them. But they are worth you thinking about. They are worth you pondering over. Many times I say things in here that you already know. For the most part, I'm not teaching you anything that you don't know. I'm reminding you of what you know. But things become commonplace and they become not a big deal to you anymore when you stop thinking about them deeply. When you stop thinking about what what actually happened there on the cross, not just the physical aspect, but the wrath of God being meted out on someone who doesn't deserve it, those are things worth meditating on often. Think deeply about them. Just don't sit at the surface level of knowing the love, the facts of the love of Christ. We must be able to dig deeper and see them, to see the love, to appreciate it so that we value it. We must know the love of it, the facts, see his love on display. We don't want to make up a version of Jesus, a small version of Jesus of what he's like and then love that one. We want to love the Jesus of the Bible, who God says he is, who the Bible says he is, how his love is shown for us. Know the Jesus of the Bible. Know how God describes his love for you. You must know it. It's essential. But experiencing the love 
of Jesus is life-changing. So what we fall back on, what we rely on is that knowledge. We trust in that knowledge that the love of Jesus is what we have gained. All the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. But what changes your soul, changes your outlook, changes your eternity, changes you in the things that you go through in life is the experience of that love in your own life. And that starts with the gospel. We must know the gospel, but we must experience the gospel. You must know that you are a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God, that he created you to worship him. He created you to live for him. You find fullness of freedom and joy and happiness in that, and you yourself had had chosen to make to go a different route, to live your life for yourself, to make yourself his enemy. And you must know that you are a sinner. And you must know what his word teaches about the wrath of God and sinners. You must know these things, but you must experience. You can know them, but until you realize and you have that experience, it's different. You must know that Jesus came and died for such sinners, to all who would believe in him and hope in him, that that death he died on the cross was for their sins, was the punishment for their sins that they could be forgiven. And the life he lived was so that being in him, they could be counted as righteous before God. You must know it, but experiencing it changes everything. It changes everything. He died. Those weren't just sins he died for. Those were my sins. Those were my sins. Sins that I committed yesterday. You got to have that knowledge of how his love was poured out, but you must experience his love through what we know to be changed by the gospel. We must know his love is shown by his grace, his unmerited favor. Not stuff that we earn so that he pours out his favor on it, but he, he did it unmerited, undeserved by us for his sheep. You got to know these things, but when you experience his love through his grace, it changes you, right? We, we talk about preaching grace, walking in truth, is that what it says? But we, we, when we experience that grace, we want to walk in grace. We want to walk in that undeserved favor. When I experience salvation because of no, no merit of my own, I want to start, I want to walk the rest of my life in that grace. Because I screw up a lot in the rest of my life. I want to continue to walk by God's favor. It changes you. When you experience his love through his grace, it changes you. We must know that his love is shown to us in the mercy he gives. But we are changed when we experience that mercy. When, when, when we say grace is when we get what we don't deserve and mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. We deserve punishment. We don't deserve forgiveness, but he shows mercy. He expresses his love by showing mercy. And then what does it do? It wants to make, it makes us want to be merciful. 
He says that, right? Forgive others as I have forgiven you. We want to be merciful because we know, we know us. We know what we've done. We know how we think. We know how we fall short and how we fail. And if God's going to show me that kind of great, that kind of love through the through his grace and through his, his mercy, doesn't everybody else need that same kind of love shown through grace and mercy? It changes us when we experience it. <clears throat> we must know his faithfulness and his nearness. But when you experience that in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your struggles, when you experience the love of Jesus, when you're crying out to him in the middle of the night because your body hurts or your heart is broken, and he shows up, and you experience that love, it changes you, does it not? It affects you. You know it, but now you've experienced it. Do not settle. Do not settle for just knowing the facts of the love of Jesus. Seek to experience that love through a deep, personal relationship with your Savior. It's not a one-time thing. He did a long time ago, this love of Christ. It's something there for you to see and experience every day. That's that's the joy in that promise, what can separate you from the love of Christ. When you know it, when you're clinging to it, when you live by it. So pray to him, listen, read and meditate, think on him, trust in him, then turn to him. There's not one thing in this life more important to spend your time and efforts on than Jesus Christ. You will get in, you will get out of what you put in. So we know the love of Christ. We experience the love of Christ. But then third, that change, that what that change does to us is then we live the love of Christ. And it grows us and it affects us as well. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You might have the king... James version, which translates controls to compels, which is actually a more accurate translation because the Greek means to impel or to compel. So you have this love of Christ and you know it and, it ex and you experience it and then it does something to you. It doesn't merely control you. It compels you to live differently. The love of Christ compels you. It, it does something in you. It urges you to action. It motivates you. This is what happens when you really experience it. And you've done, you've know this because it's happened in your life. You felt the love of Christ. You've seen it. You've experienced it. And then you do something with it. 
it's hard to really keep, keep out. Jesus says, a new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So he loves, we experience that love, then you go love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, by your love for one another that comes from the love which I have shown you, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love of Christ being lived out shows itself. We see it. We experience his love. It compels us. And in this instance, it compels us to love one another. We value it. We appreciate it. We love the love of Jesus Christ more when we know it and when we experience it. And finally, when we live it, when we follow this command, when his love compels us, we see it more and we love it more. You grow closer to Christ when you're living, when his love is compelling you to love other people. You really do. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Yes? How many people have ever felt closer to Jesus after you've poured out love for someone else in his strength and in his name, right? We, we pray. I mean, so many times I pray, Lord, I want to be closer to you. It's not like I then go to sleep and I just wake up and it's like, oh, he puts situations in my life where then I can show his love to others and that does it. He builds my love for him by using me to love others. When you've shared the gospel with someone, when you've witnessed someone come into saving faith, do you feel more or less love for Jesus? You feel more, right? You feel closer to him. Because you're living out that love. That love of Christ has compelled you to share the gospel. You've seen how it's changed someone else. Jesus is bigger in your eyes. You see his love more. You grow closer to that love. You desire it more. When you've encouraged someone or counseled someone in the gospel, do you feel more or less love for Jesus? You feel more, right? It compels us, the love of Christ. When you visited someone who was lonely or helped someone who was sick or sung to someone as they were dying or hugged someone or pointed them to Jesus when they are grieving, do you then feel less of the love of Christ or do you feel more? You get what I'm getting at. We want, we love that love of Christ. We want to see it. We want to know it and we want to see it in here. More than that, we want to experience it. And we keep filling up that experience, that love tank, if you will, by living it and seeing it more and more. Jesus doesn't need you to show his love to others, does he? No. I felt his love before I knew a single one of you in here. But I feel it more. I feel it through when he uses you in my life, 
So he doesn't need you to show his love for others, but he chooses you. Why do you think that is? Yes, because we are his, being his hands and feet here on earth, but also because you experience his love richly in that way by serving him, by loving others. It's a blessing to you. It's a blessing from him to you for you to be used by him to love others. You're more blessed to give than to receive. Trust me. So seek ways, pray for, plan for ways. Free up your life and your time to be available for ways to love others. They come all the time. And usually we're like, ah, I can't. I got, I got this right now. I'm the same way, right? We want to free some things up so we're a little more sensitive, a little more aware, a little more available. Hey, this is a gospel opportunity right here. This is a way for me to show the love of Christ, but also experience the love of Christ right here. Be intentional. When you live the love of Christ, you are reinforcing what you've already known and already experienced, and it enhances your value for the love of Christ. It deepens your love and the need for that love of Christ. So live for the love of Jesus. Then, when your love for his love grows and you hear that promise of Romans 8, then you get it. Now you get it. When you hear nothing, what, what shall separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. Then that promise really sticks. Then it makes sense. Then it becomes a huge promise. You want to love Jesus. You want to love him this way so that that promise is huge. Know his love. Know his love. Experience his love. Live his love. We're going to celebrate his love through communion together. And if you have experienced that love, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you his sin, his punishment that he took on the cross is paid for your sins and you are born again, I, I ask you to join us as a celebration of his love displayed. So as the men come forward, I want you to think about these three things that we've looked at today. As you partake of the bread, his body given up for you, and the wine, his blood shed for you, remember, this is his love displayed. Know this and think about this as you eat it and drink it. You must know the love of Jesus in this way. And as you taste them, you are experiencing his love displayed for you. So remember that this is the love of Christ. And nothing will separate me from this love. And then just as the love of Jesus remains in you, go and live out that love of Jesus with others. Be intentional. It's a love you didn't deserve, a love we can barely comprehend, but a love that we will never lose.